0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. Secure Talk is brought to you by AdaQuest, your cybersecurity and compliance partner. My name is Mark Schreiner, and today I have a special guest. I have Justin White, who is a security professional and is also the ISSA Puget Sound chapter president. Justin, how are you today?
1: Doing well. Thanks, Mark.
0: Hey, Justin. Well, I uh, appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join our show. Um, before we get started, I would like you to kind of introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your background in the security space. Thank you.
1: So, uh, you know, before I start talking about what I'm doing now, I kind of got to talk about where I started. And that's really led to where I am in my career. In uh, 1982, I was about nine years old. And my dad who was an engineer, went and bought one of the Atari 2600s, and many people will remember that as kind of their first computing experience. I think it was about in the fourth grade or so, and uh, it also came with a programming cartridge, which had BASIC on it, which I actually think was created by Microsoft, if I'm if I'm uh, correct. And so I started out on that, and I was pretty much hooked right from the beginning. And then coincidentally. Around the same time, Steve Jobs had been working with the California legislator. And in 1982 or 83, they don't, or probably about 83, 84, donated Apple computers to the school that I was going to. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So every computer or every classroom had a computer in it. And uh, the first thing that happened was the teachers did not know how to use them. So they kind of just sat there in the corner of the classroom. And the teachers, you know, they, they had never used computers before, and the kids had never used computers before. Well, I had had the Atari 2600 and already had been learning how to set it up and you know, had mastered that and knew how to program in BASIC. So the, I asked the teachers one day, what's the story with the computers? And they said, well, you know about computers. Would you help us set them up? So that was kind of my first computer job right there. I was actually responsible for setting up all the Apple uh, I think there were two E computers in every classroom and then teaching the teachers how to use it.
0: That's awesome. And uh, I remember those days. I remember when computers first sh- uh, showed up at our high school and um, and you're right, most of the teachers didn't really know what to do with them. Um, we had uh, several PCs and I remember there was the, the one Mac and everybody wanted to get on it, but nobody really knew what to do with it. So <laughs> I definitely remember those days. That that is exactly how it was,
1: Mark, and you know you remember everybody huddling around it, trying to get time on it and stuff like that, and and so you know fast forward to today, I, I never really stopped working with computers. I had <clears throat> jobs in seventh and eighth grade working in healthcare, believe it or not. Um, in high school, I worked for a defense contractor doing IT data backup and general you know IT security. We didn't know it was IT security back then. It was just kind of what, one of the things that you did and uh, always had been in it. The one thing that I never knew was that it was going to be a career for me. I always thought of it as kind of a hobby, and it wasn't really until I got out on my own, moved out of my house, and realized, oh, gosh, I got to make money, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that it, it became a quote-unquote career. And uh,
0: did, you, did you go to university?
1: Yep. Okay. Went to, went to school. And, and I got to tell you that back then, at least for me, when I went to computer science courses in college, it wasn't what I was expecting. Back then, they weren't really teaching what we learn today if you go to get a computer uh, science or cybersecurity degree. Back then, it was like, let's teach you accounting or, or how to use the computer to run a hotel or something. It wasn't quite what it was today, at least um, my experience. In fact, I got more coaching and more tutoring when I was in high school, in junior high, because I was getting lessons on how to program. And then in high school, I was in early college courses. So I was taking classes through um, UC Santa Barbara while I was still in high school. Then somehow, when I went into actual college, they weren't
0: teaching teaching uh, what I thought was real computer science. So then how did you further your education? Was it just on the job or surrounding yourself with people who had similar interests? Or how did, how did that work?
1: Yeah, you know, you hear all these funny stories. And one of the books that I've been reading lately is called Outliers. And it's it's not always practice. It's practice and kind of the stars aligning at the same time. But um, I, I got married and I moved away from Santa Barbara up to... Um, Seattle area. And lo and behold, I ended up moving next door to a gentleman who had his own IT and cybersecurity consulting company. Mm-hmm. So I got to know this guy, but he hadn't shown me what he exactly did. And so one day, once he knew that I liked computers and was, you know, addicted to computer science and stuff, he said, Hey, come on, come and check out my garage. <laughs> like, okay, let's go check out his garage. His whole garage was lined with server systems. It was almost like he had his own little data center and, uh, he took me under his wing and I started working with him and, uh, you know, that was it. We hit the Y2K thing and we were real busy as consultants. And, uh, that was, that was really where I got my,
0: uh, feet wet, so to speak. That's excellent. Yeah. I always tell my boys, uh, you know, if you, if you want to be good at Soccer, for example, then surround yourself with uh, soccer players who are who are slightly better or, or much better than you. And same with music, and, and I guess the same is uh, holds true for uh, any job skills and computers. Uh, computer science being one of them, I, I think it's. A, I think that's a great
1: point. And and how do you do that with computer science? You know, well, you you go to places like ISSA, or when you're working in an organization, you know, you find a mentor that's doing what you're doing or, or has more experience in what you're doing. And you kind of try to cling to them or glean as much information as you can. You know, I think one thing for me, which was kind of lucky is that I ended up working for an organization called Computerland, mm-hmm. And so I, I came in the door and there were guys and gals that had been doing this for 20, 30, 40 years. So I was thrown right in the middle
0: of all these experts and it was just, you know, just wonderful. That's excellent. And um, so, so tell me a little bit about uh, your work now. Um, we'll get into the ISA a little bit later, ISA, but yeah uh, sure. Yeah. What type of projects do you yeah. work on? And, yeah.:
1: So um, you know, I've been focusing on full-time consulting since about 2010 or 11, and uh, so I'm still doing that now, and what I mainly focus on lately is risk. And uh, working for a large health core organization, which I'm going to leave anonymous, but um, it's it's mainly focused on risk. So identifying one, you know, what your critical assets are, kind of the, where the keys to the kingdom are, and uh, what new technology they want to adopt or what new medical devices they want to adopt. And you kind of look at it from some of the uh, standard risk methodologies that are out there in the world, but also a holistic way of you know don't assume anything, trust but verify, go over everything with a fine-tooth comb, look for flaws, look for vulnerabilities, look for risk and how data is exchanged or used by the vendor. And even look at the devices that are sent by the vendor to see how the vendor develops them, whether they're developed securely or not.
0: So that's that's been my primary focus right now. Well, that sounds a little, a little bit broader than um, just cybersecurity. I mean, you're looking enterprise-wide at potential risk issues. Uh, how did you prepare or move into that role from working you know, mostly on computers, uh, computer security, and now you know, dealing with risk issues, which really is not just technology, it's uh, processes and, and mapping out, you know, like you said, crit- critical assets, et cetera. How did you prepare for that?
1: Yeah, you know, I, for me at least, I, I just think about my personal life. I think some of it's a maturing process because early on I was focused just on the technology and, uh, you know, all the gadgets and the routers and the switches and firewall and intrusion detection and, and all that stuff. So you really heads down kind of in the weeds. And it wasn't until I had a little exposure with more of the uh, business and the processes, like you mentioned, that I started to go, hmm. So this whole time I've been thinking about these gadgets and, if you will, the zeros and ones of things, but really, you, know, I should also be focusing on how all this applies to the business, like what I'm actually doing or how it applies to the customer. And you know just as a little tidbit, what the kind of story that hits me in my mind is when I put in a request to purchase this very expensive piece of security monitoring equipment, which would monitor traffic. And the CEO of the company actually came down to talk to me about a week later. I get this tap on the shoulder and scared me because this is kind of a guy that, you know, was helping run the company. And I was just a little bit fearful, I think. <laughs> and uh, he said, Justin, what's this thing that you've asked for here? And I start talking kind of geek talk. You know, well, this thing will monitor this. And he starts waving his hands in my face. He goes, ah, Stop. I don't understand what you're saying anyway. Just tell me how it applies to patient care. And he said, when you can tell me that,
0: then we'll talk. (laughs) Wow. That's a a pretty good lesson right there. I mean because – uh, you know, most people at, at that level, they they can't go into the weeds, and they don't want to go into the weeds. They just want to know, how, you know, how is this going to affect us? And and if you bring that mindset to your job in terms of okay, what what am I doing? Um, how how does what I do affect the organization? It probably lets you see things in a in a different manner as well.
1: It, it does because I think when you're especially when you're in like the intrusion detection team, or you're on the firewall team, or or whatever it is that you're doing, if you're you get so focused on what the tool is, and you get kind of you know you get the blinders on your head of I have my tool or I have my role, and this is what I do. And you don't get a lot of exposure to executives or to business decision makers at the company. But once you have to write a business justification, and you start to have responsibilities for a budget, mm-hmm. then you you start to see that. And eventually that happened partially because I you know. Um, Earn, earned earned uh, more responsibility in an organization, or I applied for a role. It's, it's once you get into like the CISO levels or IT security manager levels that you really start to have to learn that how to how to speak with uh, business leaders in the organization,
0: how to justify spending and that kind of thing. That you kind of learn it. That's uh, I think that's a that's a really good point. Well, I mean, one of the things I, I really like about you and respect about you is that you also make a a very strong effort to give something back to the community, and um, I'm speaking specifically about your role at the ISSA. Um, maybe you could take a little bit describe the ISSA, and then we can talk about the uh, the Puget Sound chapter, which you know you're the the president of, and you, know, you do it in my opinion a tremendous job of, of leading that organization. But let's uh, for for the for our listeners' sake, um, who maybe not might not be familiar with the ISSA, can you just tell tell us a little bit about the organization, and then. What you do here in Puget Sound? Yeah, thank you.
1: So the Information Systems Security Association, or is more commonly known ISSA, is an international organization. There's chapters all over the globe, Egypt, India, um, you name it, everywhere. And then they're in every town as well, or every major city. There's about 10,000 members worldwide in this organization now. And really where the the bread and butter is, is at the local organization. The way that I got involved was when I was in Colorado working for um, Governor Bill Ritter, was we had this annual conference that we partnered with ISSA. And that's kind of how I got to know ISSA. At the time, I was working long hours, didn't have the time to get involved, but always wanted to. And it wasn't until I came back to the Seattle area that uh, I was able to, Contribute and get involved, but a wonderful organization. It's really focused on educating people, mentoring people, um, getting in touch with the next generation of up-and-comers, and uh, it's just a wonderful organization.
0: I, I would agree, and, and the uh, the activities for the Puget Sound chapter for me are um, really. Uh, beneficial uh, i've i just started going maybe six months ago uh, i'm relatively new to the security space i'm um, always i'm always looking to learn to network to meet people but the uh the puget sound chapter is uh, you know every meeting you, you have anywhere from 50 to 70 sometimes maybe even 80 people uh a variety of very high quality speakers and the, the um, presentations are always informational at, at, a, at a variety of levels. I mean, for somebody like me who's new to the industry, I'm learning something. But I think uh, even for some of the more um, seasoned professionals, I mean, I can tell by the interaction, um, the questions that um, everybody's learning and everybody's sharing. Um, additionally, I always like what you do in terms of connecting uh, job seekers with, uh, uh, with people who are recruiting And so, I mean, you you know, you you really make that um, two-hour meeting. I I, is it the third Thursday of the month? Is it fixed? What what is the uh, the the meeting dates? How does that work? It's the third Thursday of every month. Yeah, the third, except for November and December. Okay, the third Thursday of every month, um, and it's uh, you know a couple hours, and then there's an after meeting kind of networking session as well but and there's free food you know so it's just free a, food free you know, drink yes yeah. so <laughs> it's just a it's just a win 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 on on so many different levels and if you know in, anybody out there is in the Puget Sound area um and you you want to cuz we were talking earlier about the importance of of surrounding yourself with people who are doing what what you're doing or want to be doing um, and if you're looking for an organization like that, uh, you got to come out to the ISSA, um, tell us, I mean, what do you have on the roadmap for the, the Puget Sound chapter? What's, what's coming up and, um, yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I was kind of thinking of a smart comeback for this last night and, and I heard, you know, Ford was stopping making cars or you heard that they're going to stop making sedans. No, I and didn't hear heard, that. <laughs> and you, you hear all these companies, um, doing new things and leaving old things behind, I thought, you know, looking in the future, you know, 50 years from now, I'm thinking ISSA should get into personal transportation, like hovercrafts or, or <laughs> personal, personal transportation. No, I'm just joking. Yeah. But, um, the, the, you're, ISSA, you're, a, you're a visionary, Justin. <laughs> <it's> a bit, <laughs> I was thinking of all the other visionaries and what they're, they're thinking in the future. So, you know, I, I think in the next four years and I also look at the last four years as I'm thinking about what's next for ISSA Puget Sound. We've been growing tremendously in the last two years. I think um, the turnout is you know, almost doubling in some cases. We're in a bigger room now. We, we had a tiny little room before, and now we've doubled the size of space we need. So I think in the future, what we'll have is more formalized programs for, like you said, people that are looking for jobs, for instance. What we need to be having is job workshops, teach people how to not necessarily write their resume, but just do a little check over, and also teach them how to get out there in front of people and get the jobs that they want. Maybe look at their LinkedIn profiles, just workshops like that, how to, how to get them in the best space to where they can get a job. Um, not everybody in this world is a real go-getter and out in your face and they tend to get a little shy or whatever when they're trying to find a job or uh, you know, seeking their next step. And so I think that's one thing we're going to do. The other thing is having more formalized programs for college students. We need to be out on the college campuses with a, a card table and a megaphone yelling at everybody we can to get them engaged in cybersecurity and interested, or the ones that are already interested, get them thinking about coming to ISSA and solidifying uh, a job in the job market for them in the future. And I think about other things too, like military transitioning programs. We already do that kind of unofficially with ISSA, but uh, we need to be doing that more and working with the Army bases and all these people helping them transition. There's a lot of people in the military that have cybersecurity experience, and then when they leave the military, They end up getting into construction or other things because they don't know how to turn that into a job. So not that there's anything wrong with construction, but you've got somebody with 10 years of experience in cybersecurity, but they don't know how to transition. We need to help them with that. So I see that, and the last thing I really see is uh, a big regional event where there are draws of 300 to 400 people. So we're looking at that in the future. We we have that with other ISSA chapters in other areas like Los Angeles and Denver have a huge event every year where they have 300, 400, 500 people that show up. Uh, we'd like to also do that.
0: That all sounds awesome. And, and, and now I'm not being sarcastic or joking, but you are a visionary. I mean, I, I really like the vision. In fact, I mean, while you're sitting there talking, you're explaining that, I'm thinking, you know what? I've got a son who's at the University of Washington studying informatics. Um, He's he has one foot on the computer science path as well. Um, And I'm like, why isn't he at these meetings, you know, and why doesn't he bring some of his friends? And in fact, that's um, it's going to happen because, I mean, I'm learning and I'm sure he'll learn uh, And uh, it's he'll it's the benefit of the network the the information and then picking up some of those skills. I mean, if you were to do some of those uh, the, the workshops that you're talking about or formalized learning opportunities, I think it's a massive benefit. Massive. So, um, and you know, speaking about uh, you know job opportunities, I mean, the statistics that I see in terms of uh, the potential new or the new jobs coming online for security professionals is far outgrowing the actual um, talent pool. Um, and I mean, what are your thoughts around uh, opportunities in this space? Um, the the dis- uh, the discrepancy between the um, the needs of the industry versus our current talent pool? Um, and then and then your advice for uh, people who uh, who would want to get into this into into the security uh, industry? Yeah,
1: you know it's it's kind of crazy right now because just throwing it out there, Right off the bat, there's not enough people. And you you hear that, that it's, you know, there's not enough people for cybersecurity. And it sounds so cliche, but I know firsthand because I've been part of uh, a team that had to hire people. So I I helped an organization start their security practice. And, you know, the first thing we have to do is work with the recruiters to start getting cybersecurity people. And I thought this is going to be easy, you know, especially since I know a lot of people. It was not easy at all. I mean if you have three roles that you need to fill, it was not uncommon to have maybe only six people reply or four reply. And so you kind of got to take what you can get in some cases. You're, you're not necessarily getting the best candidate, or you get lucky and you are getting the best candidate. But you don't have like 100 people to choose from. Most of the people we talked to when we were recruiting, they're already hired. Uh, they're already paid well. They're not going to leave unless you're, A, going to pay them more or, B, going to provide them a better uh, work-to-life balance or whatever. But, yeah, there there's a shortage of people, and I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier about um, your own children. Is How do we steer them into cybersecurity? Because if we look at the next 20 years, this career is not going away and this need is not going away. How do we supply… And how do we get the next generation into this career? And so, yeah, I, I would agree with you. There's, there's not enough people
0: to fill all the jobs. And then what about people? Okay, let's look at two, sub, uh, two groups of people. Okay, we've got the university students. Um, and then we have uh, people more like myself, uh, mid-career professionals who want to make a pivot into cybersecurity. For both of those groups of people, um, you know, what would your advice be? Yeah, you know, the the pivot thing is tricky.
1: What I tell people to do, and what we will be telling people to do once we start this um, educational and and uh, career workshop this this coming uh, next couple months, is look at everything on your resume. Let's let's say the mid career person. We'll start with that. Look at everything in your past that's been cybersecurity related, because you'll find little nooks and crannies in there where you do have some. Bring those to the surface. So let's say you were a help desk person at one point. A lot of people in help desk don't realize that 25% of their job was fixing computers that had viruses or troubleshooting, malware infestation or whatever. So highlight that. If you were working in uh, database development and you worked with the cybersecurity team to secure that database or that code that you were uh, coding, you have experience in hardening uh, software and securing it. So bring those things to light to help you pivot. You can do other things like go get education and stuff like that. But I think at the end of the day, it's real world experience that uh, recruiters and hiring managers are looking for. For college, it's even more tricky because you've never proven that you can do the job, and that's that's the biggest. Uh, roadblock right there so i think what you need to, if there's any jobs on campus where you can get involved and be an intern or something like that transition to an intern program and then that's an easier way in your career but the hardest thing is getting that cold start that
0: pivot that's the toughest thing okay so that, that's really excellent advice um in fact i'm going to i'm going to have my son listen to that portion of this podcast, definitely, if not the entire thing. Um, what's your, what, are you, what are your thoughts on credentials, industry credentials? How important are they? What role do they play?
1: So uh, I'll tell you, I, I, everybody has their opinion on industry credentials. And what I'm going to say might uh, make people perplexed, but I, I don't want anybody to take it the wrong way. I, I, at the end of the day, if I'm a CISO, and I'm hiring people, I'm going to look for the credentials, but it's not going to rule anybody out. The credentials to me at a executive manager level are going to be, can the person do the job? If I have an intrusion detection team of 20 people and I need three more people, I'm not going to be looking for a CISSP certification. I'm going to be looking to see if that person can actually do the job. Do they have – do they fit culturally with the team? Um, you know That kind of thing. The certifications are great. If you want to spend two, three thousand, four thousand $3,000, 4000 to get a certification and you have that luxury to do it, by all means do it. It's, it's only going to help you. It's going to help you get the knowledge for the job. But at the end of the day, you can go study the CISSP or any other certification on your own time and, and get the same head knowledge. But
0: at the end of the day, it's you got to be able to do the job. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Yeah. And it's like you said, if there's two people and they have equal skills, one of them has a certification. Maybe maybe they'll get the nod. But really, it comes down to the experience. And and are you able to demonstrate that? Um, We don't have too much more time here, but let me ask you um, going forward, what are the areas that are most interesting or the fastest growing in the in the cybersecurity industry?
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's funny for me because I every couple of years you hear some new moniker of, you know, this is the thing. But I gotta just go back to reality. The most interesting thing on the horizon is whatever's most interesting for your organization, the place that you're working or the customers that you're serving. So it's it's great to be aware of what the new big thing is, like AI and big data and things like that. But if you're never gonna be exposed to big data or AI in your organization, you need to focus on what your organization does. So back to what we were talking about, about the what the business processes are, what your organization does. Focus on the crown jewels at your organization. Always know what that is, and uh, that's the best advice that I have for you. I will say just real quick, I will give a big nod to big data is on the horizon. It's here now. AI is the same way. Cybersecurity professionals need to learn how to protect that data just like any other data. And also AI is going to be a big helper with cybersecurity in the future for things like intrusion detection. Use the AI to improve information
0: security products and techniques. Right, right, it's funny, uh, I'll have two comments there. One is um, I'm working with one organization and you know we've had these um, very high level meetings to talk about what's our AI play, how are we gonna use AI? And, you know, part of me is thinking like, well, there is no AI play for us because, you know, the way this business is set up, there's no real application for AI. But it's kind of like people feel like, oh, but we have to have a way that we, you know, are going to work with this. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But then to the other point, um, we see a lot of work, like the work we do with with Microsoft. AI plays a huge role in anomaly detection, for example. And, um, you know, what people are doing on the network and... Wow, you know, Mark's never gone over to these files and downloaded that volume of them from this position. So, hey, you know what? There's a little bit of an anomaly here. Um, maybe we need to flag this. And you know, in a small organization, maybe you can do that manually, but you cannot scale using um, just doing it manually. You need to use some type of machine learning. So Exactly. Yeah. That's what's
1: that's what's going to be
0: great is the AI
1: helping people do their job now or helping identify new threats and anomalies. Like you said, that's what's going to really help cybersecurity. So, yeah.
0: Okay, cool. Well, hey, just a couple more things and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, tell us a or share, if you don't mind, a interesting story um, that's, you know, that you've recently come across in the cybersecurity space. And just to kind of tee you up um, I, and give you a second to think about that, I just got a call last night from um a friend who was i guess the target of a very interesting spearfishing uh campaign, and this wasn't even uh online this was actually they re- <laughs> that person received a letter at home with no return address, and the letter basically the said you know we have uncovered some uh some of your misadventures in the area. And they they targeted, they they dropped in the names of, you know, where the person lived, where they worked. Um, and they said, you know, if you want to keep these misadventures uh, quiet and not let, you know, not let your neighbors or wife find out about these, um, you're going to have to send X amount of money via Bitcoin uh to us, right? And if you don't, we will uh, not only inform your wife, but we'll form, inform all your neighbors. And oh, <laughs> so so I took that information and I, and I actually went online and uh, it, 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 you know, actually it was Krebs, Krebs uh, reported on this back in January, word for word. But I was thinking, wow, man, I mean, if you get a letter at home and you send that, I mean, well, if you send that letter out to a thousand people, uh, uh, there's gonna be a percentage of them who've had these quote unquote misadventures, right? They're like, "Oh man, you know, <laughs> 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 who's been watching me?" Right? <laughs> and I was like, you know, because sometimes we think about cybersecurity or security, it's re- we're really focused on you know the you know our emails or, or you know our our IT infrastructure, but this is old school, man. No,
1: <laughs> oh, that that is really funny because you're right. They they. They use that social engineering aspect to show, okay, nine out of ten things most humans do. Right. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna hit on a couple of them, and the person's gonna believe it, and they might look at two of them and go, okay, that's that's an out and out lie. I did not do that. So they they buy into it. Yeah. But so you how- know, as, as far as stories go, I mean, I don't have any like stories recently that I can remember besides you know just what I'm doing at, at work and day to day. But I can tell you that the spear phishing and that type of attack is is what's happening this is if you look at every single one of them the ransomware attacks and all these things it requires human interaction Mm -hmm. and so i think the big story is is that we need to do a better job training people and i i look at it gosh every month it's a new spear phishing attack or or new uh human interaction that caused a major problem at an organization and i keep asking when are people going to stop clicking or you know signing into this stuff or following for these emails and uh, people just they need to understand and resist the urge to click the problem is some of the stuff looks so real some of it looks like their managers so the the attackers are getting smarter and doing a little reconnaissance on who works at the company looking at the company's org chart and then going Oh, I can see that so and so reports to so and so. So I'll just make the email look like it comes from that person. And then it's, it's almost impossible to distinguish reality from an attack.
0: I, I got an email um, from uh, using the CEO. So I work with a variety of organizations. Um, it had the, the CEO's name, uh, first name, dot last name, at. And then it was it was some Gmail or something. Right. But it, I just saw first name dot last name. And I was like, oh, and the uh, the email said, hey, hey, hey Mark, um, I need to talk to you in about five minutes. And I was like, sure, what's up? You know, <laughs> and then and it was like and then the next email came back and said, well, the, the situation is, is we need you to transfer some money because our um, our European bank account is shut right now. And right there, I was like, "Well, there's a flag, right?" And so then, of course, then I, you know, I forwarded it to the real CEO, and they're like, "That's not us, man." But it's like you imagine, you know, everybody's multitasking, everybody's running 110 miles per hour, and you see that person's name, and all of a sudden, you know, your adrenaline spikes, and you're like, "Oh, I, I got to take care of this right now." And again, you send that out to 100 people. All it takes is one or two to to fall for it, right?
1: Yeah, you know, you're sparking my memory now. I I did have a quick story that happened this year, and it's it is regarding just that. So, and the funny part is, I'll tell you in a minute. The, I get this call from somebody, and they're like, <clears throat> "I know this business owner down in Seattle. She's a uh, business magnet, in the area, and she had 100 and or what 1.7 million dollars taken from her via the same type of thing that you just said. Um, she got scammed." They had her bank account information, they faked like they were the bank manager and everything, and they said the company needs this money. Well, they knew she was out of town. she was on a cruise ship, so what they did was they while she was on this cruise ship, they knew the second in command could authorize the money. so the second in command authorized the money and did the bank transfer. It looked so real when I heard the story, everything that happened, I'm like, I would have probably done the same thing. The yeah. second is second in command of the money. Well, they were going to hire me to do this huge project. I gave them a quote, and she comes back and says, um, You know, this is only $76,000 that I lost, right? And the figure I was giving was 1.7600, you know. You're right, million. right, right. And I go, Oh my gosh, it's, you only lost $76 million." I, I probably would have just told you to just suck it up, you know. <laughs> it's not going war- to be cost-effective to pay somebody like me she, to she, come in and try to get $76,000 back.
0: Right. So, so it, was pretty, it was a wash. Wow. So um, – and that was just social engineering, right? I mean they're just playing around. Just, and, yeah.
1: It was, it was incredible. I, we think that when she was on this cruise line, they had connected to an um, insecure Wi-Fi access point. Mm-hmm. Somebody did some kind of man-in-the-middle and were able to read what she was sending back and forth to her company while she was working. Wow. And that's the only thing we could think of because the email that was sent to her was traced back to some European country. So we're able to trace it back. But, uh, yeah, it was – I mean it was genius. They knew everything, and they knew how the authorization worked. They even called the bank manager. So what happened was somebody actually went to Oregon, pulled the money out of the bank. They just showed up and said, we're here to pick up the money for the money transfer. And they walked out of the bank with $76,000 in Oregon.
0: Wow. It was this incredible. Makes it makes me nervous to even just check my email or my my uh snail mail man it's like i, I, I huh. just don't want to know man <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. crazy well hey okay last thing here uh what's what's next for uh for you and for the issa what should uh what should people be looking for upcoming well, events next?
1: yeah yeah next next month we have or actually yeah it's, it's not next month yet losing track of time next month we have bar lockwood she's going to speak and um I don't have her information up in front of me right now, but she's a longtime member of the organization. I've personally worked with her at Microsoft on the information security uh, teams, and she's wonderful. you got to come this month. She's just a wonderful speaker. She's going to be great. Um, And then ISSA members should look out for the invites coming up about the workshops, the career workshops and other opportunities like that. So that's what's coming up for ISSA. We're planning a quarterly event. So within the next couple months, you'll see something coming up for a summer event. And that's something that you want to be in tune to. That's going to be fun. We'll have a big barbecue down at a
0: beach somewhere, something like that. It's going to be a blast. Excellent. And just a reminder for everybody, it's the uh, the chapter meetings are the third Thursday of every month. I, they kick off at 630, and they're usually at the Mercer Island Community Center. It's a great venue. I mean, I, I just like going out there regardless of if, if there's a meeting or not because it's just such a, such a nice setting, especially this, this last meeting because we had beautiful weather and everything. So I encourage everybody to come out and join. Uh, participate. Uh, Justin, really appreciate you taking the time to join the show here. Uh, really appreciate the work that you do with the ISSA. Uh, I know that, uh, myself, uh, Hiram and the rest of the AdiQuest game, uh, team r- really, you know, benefit from it and, uh, look forward to, to seeing you at the next meeting. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And Hey, thanks for being the speakers this month.
1: So right, it was a great nod to you guys. AdiQuest has supported the chapter and they've I hear him spoke this month, and it was well attended during an RSA event. So thank you.
0: Thank All you, right. guys. Excellent. Okay. Well, take care, everybody, and uh, stay safe. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.